for coming out tonight. I'll try to stay where you can see me, um, but I also want to make sure that everyone can see me. I'd like to start um, with how I always start all of my talks. Sometimes I do it quietly, sometimes I do it out loud, but tonight I think is the perfect place to do it out loud. And that is um, with Father Ted Hesper's favorite prayer. He, Father Hesper was the president of Notre Dame for about 35 years. He's now 96 years old. He's a remarkable man. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if someday he was a saint, and I've had the great privilege to meet him twice, and it really was an honor. Uh, and his favorite prayer, which I always say as I go into any talk, is come Holy Spirit. So as I stand before you tonight, that is my prayer for all of us and myself, come Holy Spirit. I would like to share with you and take you on my journey of faith tonight. Um, we all have a journey of faith. There used to be a magazine called Biography Magazine, the tagline was, Every Life Has a Story. I truly believe that. I believe that every life has a faith journey as well. And it's my privilege to share mine with you tonight. I wasn't always Catholic. I was raised what I call, affectionately called, a Christian mutt. Um, I was baptized Presbyterian. My father wasn't much of a churchgoer uh, in his early years, and unfortunately he's still not. But he was raised in the Presbyterian church, so when my parents got married, my mom was hopeful that perhaps if we went to his church, his chapel church, uh, that he would come with us. So I was baptized in Presbyterian. Uh, when my father still didn't come to church with us, my mom thought, well, this is silly. I'm an Episcopalian. If dad's not going to come with us, let's join the Episcopal church. So I spent my early uh, elementary school years attending the Episcopal church. My mom then became the director of a preschool at a Methodist church. Um, but as a non-Methodist and not a member of the Methodist church, she really had no say in she was the director. So during my middle school years, we joined the Methodist Church um, so that my mom could play a more active role in the leadership of the preschool. I then went to a Catholic high school and college. Uh, so in many ways, the foundation on which my spiritual life um, is laid was not so much in one home. There was, there was really no spiritual home that I found, even though my mother did the best she could to lay the groundwork of a prayer life and a Christian life. I also grew up in a very competitive household, uh, for better or worse. Uh, looking back, I, I, I would be hesitant to say that sports were more important than anything else, uh, but it would be very fair to say that sports were more important than anything else. <laughs> my parents would tell me that too, and I would have sort of learned along the way uh, what a blessing that was, and how much I learned from sport, and how certainly being a swimmer has taken me down to this very meaningful journey of I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, very hot in Phoenix in the summertime. I learned to swim about the time uh, I was learning to walk. I also love this picture of my brother and I competing against each other in our backyard pool because that's pretty much how I was raised. Everything was a competition. Uh, I also am 10 years old in this picture, and that's when I started swimming competitively. Uh, I had tried everything else coming from an athletic family. It was never a question of what I play a sport, it was what sport would I play. And I really couldn't do anything else besides swimming. Um, and yet, being so tall, you know, in this picture, I'm about five feet eight inches uh, as a ten-year-old girl. I have not grown since then. It was, <laughs> it was horrible. I don't mind it now, but being ten that tall was really tough. But for swimming, it was great. I just dive in and be halfway down the pool before I It. 
that should take me through my time and experience in learning. Certainly my sense of self and self-confidence. It's so important for young people to know who they are and to recognize their gifts and to value those gifts. And that sense of self-confidence, if we can raise our young children and our school-age children and any children to have a sense of self and self-confidence, that is huge as they navigate through life. I certainly learned as we all do through sport or anything we do, the value of commitment and teamwork and working together. And again, as being a 10, 11, 10-year-old competitive athlete, I learned that I like to win. Uh, I always ask students when I talk to them uh, who likes to win, and most of their hands are usually raised. Uh, and most of them are not, I always think that they just didn't know they should raise their hands. <laughs> uh, I have two boys now, they're ages 9 and 11. Of course, for them, it's all about winning. And it was for me as well, and I would learn in a very real way uh, that it's not all about winning. We just need to look at things differently. I also learned some very important life lessons from my coaches. Um, and I think coaches have a very important ministry because they're not just there to teach athletics to their, their players, they're really there to coach them through life. And so much of what I learned from my coaches has been applicable to the most important things in my life. Uh, loving what you do. It's so important to love what you do. I always say I have the best job in the world because I get to share my faith with other people. That's an awesome job. Uh, and I love to be able to do that. But whether you are a full-time student, a full-time volunteer, or an employee, anything that you do that requires great amounts of our time, you have to love it to get the passion that it deserves so that you do it well. I learned the value of teamwork. We are of service to anyone who can't work together. And to be able to work together and share our gifts together is so important to be part of the team. And uh, as a very kindergarten saying, you know, plays well with others. Um, it's very important for us to do that. And I learned that through my high school coaches. I had one coach, Pierre, who was probably the toughest coach I spent in for, but he taught me the most important lesson that I ever need. And that is the desire to want to work hard. Life is not easy. Our faith is not easy. But we have to work hard to do it well. Um, and not just work hard, but want to do that hard work. It's one thing to do that hard work. It's another thing to really want to do it. And that was a huge gift. I would learn from my coach another day what's most important why life, and I'll share that in a bit. Why I stay here another day? They're both Catholic schools. Uh, I grew up in Arizona. High school, my mother's not here. I was there this morning, uh, but I went to Xavier in Phoenix. I went because I wanted to swim. Again, I wasn't Catholic, uh, but they had the best swim team in the state at the time, and I wanted to be a part of that team. Uh, my home high school didn't have a swim team, so for me to swim, I was going to Xavier, and I loved it. It was such a great experience for me. I loved praying down there in the four meets. I loved that sense of family when we gathered for mass once a month. Uh, for me, it was such a wonderful environment to be educated, not only academically, but spiritually as well, even though I might not have recognized that at the time. When I was looking at where I wanted to go to college, my parents really only gave me one piece of advice, and that is to choose a school that you will be proud to graduate from if you want to swim. And I can remember looking at my parents thinking, why can't I not do swimmer? It's everything that I know. If you are a swimmer or no swimmer, you know, it's our before school, our after school. It is my weekends, it was everything that I did. And really what my parents wanted for me was everything else that you learn in college. And you could certainly learn it through sport. But the academic, the social, the emotional, the spiritual lessons, even though I'm not sure that we were aware of that at the time. But for me, truly, it was all about swimming. And I went to Notre Dame because I wanted to swim for our 
Welsh. When I got to Notre Dame, uh, Tim used this mission statement. Uh, he's still the coach of the men's team there, he still uses this to today, uh, today. And that is the purpose of Notre Dame swimming is to pursue athletic excellence with self-discipline and love for one another. What does that mean? The athletic excellence part we got very quickly. We were all there to be better athletes. We were all there to contribute to a part of the team. This was a really exciting time for women's athletics in the late 80s and early 90s. We were there to be better athletes. The self-discipline part we got pretty quickly. This was my first time away from home. There was no one there to make sure that I was getting enough sleep or to make sure that I was going to class or going to practice. All of those things that I need to be responsible for myself, I learned very quickly. The love for one another piece we did not get right away, and I'm not sure we viewed it in the way in which it was met. Um, but having getting to know Tim over the years, it really was a reflection of love one another as I have loved you. And that is truly what we would learn, is to love one another. And we would need that in a very real way during January of my freshman year. Um, again, this was an exciting time for women's sports. Our freshman class was the heart of the team. We were the largest class on the team. We were the fastest class on the team. Um, we were continuing to improve the program. We had one meet that year that was women only. We had combined running at the time, so we always trained for the men's team and competed with the men's team. But we swam against Northwestern in Chicago. It was a women's only meet. We lost. We knew we would. They had a much better program at the time. But we had swum really well. And on the way home, about two miles from the exit to South Bend, our bus hit a patch of black ice. And for those of you who, well, are more familiar with black ice than I was, I'm from Arizona. Um, but if you're also familiar with any sort of swimming terms, our bus literally did a flip turn to where we ended up upside down in the opposite direction. There's not a whole lot that I remember from this night, but the few things that I do remember are very clear. I thought I had walked off the hill, you can sort of see that the hill was going up, but I learned later that I just pulled myself out of the windows. I remember being very cold. Tim used to make us travel in what he called dress code A. Uh, I called it church clothes. It was something fairly similar to that hat on. It's something that you would wear to church normally. Um, but none of us had jackets on because we were on the bus, and many of us didn't have shoes on. It was very, very cold outside. So I remember lying in the snow and being very cold, and I remember knowing that my back hurt. One of my teammates sat with me. She had been training the lifeguard as the most swimmers far, and she knew that I wasn't to move. So I stayed lying in the snow for over an hour. So even though we were just two miles from South Bend and two miles from campus, that's how poor weather conditions were that night. It took over an hour for any sort of medical help to arrive. When I was first being moved from the snow to the ambulance, there are two things that I remember. One, I was relieved they were taking me first. Uh, I was so glad to get out of the snow. Uh, I really don't like being cold. I love being in Arizona in the summertime. Flying in the snow is very hard for me. I also remember that I was the first time I realized I had no feeling of movement from the waist down when they moved me. And I remember telling my teammate that, and she said to me, Haley, it's okay. Your legs are just numb from the cold. And I remember thinking, okay, my legs are just numb from the cold. And once I warm up, I'll be fine. I was admitted to the hospital in South Bend. Uh, I was diagnosed with a broken back. My body temperature was about 94 degrees. So as hot as we get with a fever, that's how cold I was with a body temperature of 94 degrees. I was paralyzed. I had no feeling of movement from the waist down. And at that point, the doctor said to me, the only chance you have to walk again 
So at 18 years old, in the middle of the night, in South Bend, Indiana, which is very far from home, uh, I signed my own consent form and went in for emergency back surgery. I actually had two surgeries that night. And really, I'm just sort of deciding that there's, there's a few things that can happen with a spinal injury. The cord can be severed, and there's no chance, certainly back in 1992, of recovering from the paralysis. And then there was the hope that if they relieved the pressure off the spinal cord, that the swelling would go down and failure the movement would return. That's what they were hoping to do with the two surgeries that night. Uh, that did not happen. So when I came out of that second surgery, I was given a 48-hour window for failure the movement to return if I was to have any chance to walk again. And it was at that point that Father Malloy, um, those of you who are familiar with Notre Dame, he was the president when I was at Notre Dame. Uh, he, was at, he was also a former basketball player. If you have met him, you will never forget him. He's very tall, he has very broad shoulders, and he is a physical and very holy presence. Um, it would be very hard to not recognize him or forget him once you met him. He came to see me in the hospital. He had never met me, I had never met him. He very humbly introduced himself to me as I was in the recovery room and said, hey, I'm Bob Malloy, the president of Notre Dame. And I remember looking at him thinking, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he said, may I pray for you? And I said, what most non-Catholics would say, and that is, but I'm not Catholic. And he said, that doesn't matter, and I pray for you. And I don't know if I recognized him at the time, because there was certainly so much going on. I can see that I knew at that moment I was going to be okay. That I was part of this Catholic family and I was part of this community of faith. And it didn't matter if I never returned as a student or a swimmer, they were going to take care of me and meet all of my needs as best they could and certainly those spiritual needs. And that all started with that one conversation with Bob Malloy. My parents flew all night. They came back to South Bend to be with me. Uh, this is a picture of my mom and I the day after the, the bus accident. She turned 45 that day. Um, I'm not quite there, but I'm getting there, and I'm realizing how young she was to go through this with me. Um, I always say I love this picture of us uh, with our matching glasses. <laughs> it defines so much of that goodness that weekend that I found. I had so many visitors come see me. I had over 100 people come through my intensive care room, which is pretty unheard of. For the intensive care unit. Um, I also had a doctor come with me named Dr. Flower, and he gave me something wonderful to focus on, and that was my toes, and willing them to move, and praying for them to move. And his whole philosophy was your body cannot achieve what your mind can't conceive. Meaning, if you can't see yourself doing it, and if you can't ask for it in prayer, it's not going to happen. And so I spent hours and days staring at my toes, willing for them to move. I also learned during those first 48 hours the very sad news that two of my teammates had passed away. I did not know that the night of the accident. I did not know that the day of my surgeries. It wasn't until the following day that they told me um, about my and Colleen. And they needed to tell me because Megan lived in South Bend and her family wanted to come see me. At that point, I knew two things. I knew I would walk, and I knew I would swim, and I would do it for my teammates, Megan and Colleen. Unfortunately, that 48 hours came and went. And it was during that time that I had a nurse come see me and say, Haley, your life has changed. You will not walk. You will not swim. And the faster you can accept this, the faster we can help you live with what you're living with. And she
she said, you can have a very happy and healthy meaningful life, but you have to accept this for us to be able to help you move on. And that was a really tough thing to hear, as you can imagine, at 18 years old. Uh, and I can imagine probably even harder for my parents to hear. But I knew that I would walk, and I knew that I would swim, and I knew that I would do it for my colleagues. But I certainly didn't do it alone. For me, the best part of therapy is pool therapy. Um, I'm a swimmer. I love being in the water. I love the smell of chlorine. It's a very healing place. It's a uh, place of rebirth. It's a wonderful place for a swimmer to be. And so pool therapy was awesome. And yet this wasn't how I was used to getting into a pool. And it was very challenging for me to love something so much, as much as I love swimming, and to be very humbly wheeled into the pool. And it was one of the first real struggles that I had of celebrating what I could do and celebrating being in the water and facing the reality that I was living with. The next best part of therapy by far was the support I received. Uh, it is amazing to me how many people reached out to me and how many people still care about how I was doing months later. This top picture is a picture of my rehabilitation room before I even got there. How could you not get better at a place that looked like that? I spent about two months in that room. I also had my teammates come every single day. Professors came, my coaches came, coaches from other sports came. I had visitors every single day. So while I had a large amount of support that first weekend, we were told by the hospital that it's very common to not have that support continue. That many people feel a rush of support at the time of any sort of tragedy but to be prepared for that support to not always be there. That never happened. The community of faith that I found at Notre at Xavier High School, from across the country, um, could not have been more important to me. My grandfather was the only Catholic in my family at the time. And he was about 85 back then, he since passed away. Uh, but he couldn't travel, he was in Southern California. He had friends, uh, many of them nuns, who he would send to visit me in the hospital. So on any given day, there would be a nun or a priest or someone who he had been friends with at some Bible study throughout his life who would just walk into my hospital room and say, your grandfather sent me. Yeah. 
I truly had to learn to walk again. And I had to do it the way we all did the first time. So I had to learn to log roll, and I had to learn to get up on my hands and knees and rock back and forth and learn to crawl. And I remember being a very impatient 7, 18-year-old, and I couldn't care less if I ever crawled in my life. I just wanted to walk. But I was learning it was about the process, and I was learning it was about the journey. And I was learning it was about celebrating the small milestones along the way. When I stood up for the first time with my walker, it was such a time of celebration that I could stand, and yet one of the hardest days I had in the hospital, because I still couldn't feel my legs. And you would think I would forget that I didn't know how to walk, or that I couldn't walk. But when I stood up and still couldn't feel them, it was very hard for me to face that very harsh reality. And it was during those times when I was down and things were tough that it was so important for me to feel those prayers and have that community of faith sustain me during that very difficult time. And I also had a setback, uh, as many of us do. Uh, we all do in life. The setback for me was that my spine didn't heal. I had two surgeries in South Bend. I spent about two months in the hospital. I last and finished about a month of my freshman year at Notre Dame. I was walking with a cane. And my spine really collapsed. Um, no one's really sure why. It had just been uh, very broken at the time. I had two rods that were stabilizing my spine that no longer were functional. Uh, and at that point, they knew I would need additional surgery that summer. So my dad did a ton of research and found a doctor in San Diego who does the type of surgery that I needed a lot. Uh, and a lot was about eight to 10 times a year. But what they needed to do was take a different approach to fix it. Um, I was supposed to have one surgery in San Diego, I ended up having three. Um, the first one was fairly simple, it was to remove the rods that were no longer functional. The next two were pretty tough. And I remember Dr. Garfin in San Diego saying to me very clearly, uh, you'll feel like you've been hit by a Mack truck, <coughs> and I did. And he said, but you're young and you're healthy, you'll be fine, but you don't want to do this twice. And what I ended up having was the surgery twice, in one week. Uh, I suffered pretty significant complications. My lungs collapsed. Uh, I suffered congestive heart failure. I was pretty beaten down physically, emotionally, and there was so much loss that I was dealing with that summer. Uh, I often spent about 13 days in this bed. Um, it's as bad as it looks. I call it my blue gummy bed. Um, I talked to you about what gummy is. Uh, I showed this picture, I shared with my doctor in San Diego who I spoke with. Uh, when I speak and he looked at me and he said, oh, we don't use that anymore. It's so archaic. <laughs> I was an 18 year 
back to campus and be with my teammates and be with my friends and be this guy or this swimmer and not this person who at this point has gone through five back operations. Uh, and I also miss swimming. We were very isolated in San Diego. I always speak in terms of me and my mother and I were together all the time. Uh, but San Diego was very tough because I didn't have swimming. My teammates couldn't come every day because they didn't live there. Um, we had no text messages or emails, so I didn't hear from them very often. I was, um, we were out of touch with people, so many people didn't know how serious it was. Because for anyone to know, my mother had to leave me, go down the hallway, find a pay phone, and call someone. Uh, and she just didn't do that very often because she was looking so closely. Uh, when she did, they came. When she called Tim and asked for him to ask for the script family to pray for me, they did. And then he got on the plane and went out to see me. Uh, our athletic director came to see me, our assistant athletic director came to see me. When we called, when they knew what we were in need and I was in need, they came. And that was very powerful. Um, and so when they knew I needed a community of faith, they were there. But I still could not wait to get back to their faith. Um, that's where I needed to be to heal. That's where the people were who understood what I had gone through because they had gone through the same exact thing. My teammates were dealing with the loss of two teammates. Uh, they were dealing with their own injuries, although much uh, significantly less than mine. If there are new, uh, there are more injuries, they are significant. And I would find and learn that sophomore year what Tim meant by loving one another. Because as we moved to that one-year anniversary of our bus accident, it was an extremely challenging time for us. And what we learned and what I learned was how important it was for us to truly care for each other and love one another enough to allow all of us to heal in the best way and the right way for us. Because there were 35 people who survived our bus accident in 35 different ways in which we healed. This one year anniversary for me was a time of celebration. I was done. I had gone through five back operations. I spent months in the hospital. I was wearing at the time, um, we called it the turtle shell, but it was basically actually a plastic body bracelet encapsulated in my torso. I was getting that off. I was looking to get back into the pool. I had survived a really tough year. Uh, so for me, that night was a time to celebrate our one-year anniversary, certainly honor my teammates, um, but to be done and to put it behind me and move forward. Uh, and that was certainly not what some of my teammates were doing. And that had to be okay. We had to be okay and love one another enough to know that we were healing in the best way for us. I swam, uh, trained through the spring of my sophomore year, uh, during the summer before my junior year, and then I knew when I got back to campus for my junior year that I wanted my first race to be in South Bend. In my mind, that's where the story began, and that's where the story needed to end. Uh, so when we first got our schedule, I knew that October 29th, 1993 would be my first race. And this is where Tim did an awesome thing. I swam two events, uh, the 50 freestyle, which was Megan's favorite event, the 100 butterfly, which was Colleen's favorite event. Uh, so I swam those two uh, events in honor of my teammates. We were in a pretty slow conference at the time. I'm not even sure it's still in good. But Tim put no other Notre Dame swimmers in my feet. So all of my teammates who had supported me and walked this journey with me and prayed for me for almost two years, got to watch me spend. They didn't have to race against me. Uh, and I always say that the other good part about that is that because it was a slow conference, I won that race. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just like, I was well off the Hollywood ending. 
and I was walking unaided. I'd been told I did not be as fast a swimmer as I was before, and I wasn't. And that was hard. And I had to learn to be okay with that. I had to learn to wake up every day and say, okay, you know what? My life has changed. I can't go back and be the swimmer I was before. Just like I can't go back and be the person I was before. And yet, what a gift and an opportunity to then choose who I wanted to be. And one of the best decisions in figuring that out was going through the RCIA process and joining the Catholic Church and being part of this deep, strong, very faithful community that carried me through a very challenging time. I had to be a part of it. I had to be a part of that community that could then go forth and pray for and help other people. I also had one more operation. Um, I'll pull these out real quick. You saw pictures of them before. So I've had six total. The last operation was to take out the rocks that were in my back. I had three of them. I took two out. They're still in there. Um, and it, I was fascinated by this. And I really wanted to see what they looked like. Um, and so I took them. Once they came out, and they were about 12 inches long, but Dr. Gardner had to cut them. And I turned them into a wind chime. <laughs>
And to see the power that it 
knew I needed to share it. And it almost felt selfish not to. And so for me, it was the beginning of myself being able to share this story. And actually, I have to share with you. One of the greatest questions I got today when I was speaking here at Disney School was, how do you tell a story with a smile? <laughs> and I don't realize that I do, but I clearly do. Um, but it's because I know how lucky I am. Uh, and I know how blessed I am. And as sad as, and as horrible as it is what I lived through, um, it really is to me a very positive and hopeful and uplifting story that I hope to share. Um, and my gift to share. And how do you do that? I don't know. I didn't know. I knew I needed to share this gift, and I knew what to do with it. I hadn't talked about it for a decade. And about a month later, out of the blue, USA Swimming, who's the governing body of the sport, called and said they wanted to make a movie about my story. I thought, okay, well, I think I'm going to make a movie. But if this is what God wants me to do, this has been placed in my back, and I was really struggling with what I do with it. Um, the scripts got too complicated. Um, it was very hard for me to see it written in script form, and that's what led me to write my book. Um, I felt like I was told to share this story the way I felt it needed to be told. Um, and that's what led me to share it. I was then invited to start speaking at schools when I read the book. Um, and I never thought that I'd do that. I'm terrified of public speaking. Public speaking. Um, and you may not see that, but in a big large scale. And when I first did it, I was terrified. But I knew that I could. And I knew that with prayer and God's help, I would. And it has certainly become easier and easier for me to do it to with a smile and love that. I have learned a ton through this, um, as you can imagine. Tragedy is something that will change your life forever. Uh, and we will all face it. And it may not be the details of my experience, and I hope it's not. But whether it's a death, an injury, an accident, divorce, whatever you face, tragedy will affect your life. And there are truly, I believe, two paths you can go down. You can go down a more fearful and bitter path, or you can choose to find and see the goodness that is there and embrace it and allow it to help you. And wherever you find that goodness, it is there for you. And how do you have it? You be it. It is so important to be part of a community of faith um, that shares their gifts and shares your talents. Um, and to have that community in place for when you do need it. And again, to have it um, when you need it is to be a part of it when you don't. I learned the power of prayer in some pretty uh, amazing ways. My mother will tell you that when she flew to South Bend the night of the accident, the only thing she prayed for was that I was at cold. And she was afraid to pray for too much more. Uh, and I hate being cold. And yet my body temperature was not 94 degrees. And that's probably one of the things that saved my spine. Because I was blind on what was really a very large ice pack for over an hour. And so that body temperature of 94 degrees um, as, as cold as it was, is probably what saved me. And there is a very controversial medical procedure that they will do now where they will inject a hypothermic saline into a spinal injury patient to help keep the swelling down. And it's controversial because uh, the dosing has to be so correct to prevent the swelling and yet to not shut down the body and the organs. And when I shared this story with a friend of mine, um, she looked at me and she said, Haley, isn't that great you had God doing the dosing? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, because that's exactly what I had. And yet, had God answered my mother's prayer the way she asked it, I probably wouldn't be as well off as I am today. So she was asking and she was praying, and yet it's such a great reminder to me that 
God may not answer the prayers the way we ask them, but we are just asking the wrong thing. My mother will also tell you that she asked when I was in San Diego that that second surgery be my last one. Um, they didn't know if I would make it on the second one, and she didn't think I could make a third one. And so any of the prayers that she asked for with that second surgery would be the last one. Uh, and yet Dr. Garfield was not able to straighten my spine during that second surgery. And so had I not had the very painful complications of the lip duct and the lungs collapse of heart failure, and had I not gone in for that third surgery, I wouldn't be standing straight and painfully here today. So again, we got into her prayer, not the way she asked. Um, but it was a very, it's such a great reminder to me that he does listen. He might just be asking for the wrong thing. And sometimes when we win, we just need a different perspective. Uh, I love to win. It was one of the things that I knew growing up about myself and the way I was raised. I won that first race at Notre Dame, and I never won another race again. But I think it would be, you would be, and anyone would be very hard-pressed to tell me that in all ways that matter, even though I never won another race, that ultimately I did not win in the things that matter. And to me, it's my family, my faith, and my friendships. And if I have those three things, and if that's all you remember from this talk, family, faith, and friendship, because they will get you through anything and everything that you face. And they may not always be strong. Your faith may falter, but your friends and your family will be there for you during that time. Or you may have to fall out with a family member, and yet your faith and your friends will carry you through that. If you nurture and take care of what I call the three Fs, it will take you in a very meaningful way through life. I've also learned that life may not take you down the path you planned, but it can still be a really good path. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that life is good. Even with everything that I've worked through, I'm often asked, do you wish this would never happen? Of course. Um, I certainly wish every day my teammates were still here. And yet I have grown so much, and I am a more spiritual person and a more faithful person and have a much different perspective on life that I'm so grateful for because of what happened. Um, it is not the path I planned, but it is certainly a very good path. And I would just like to close with one of my favorite stories. It happened just about six years ago. I was, uh, I lived in Annapolis, Maryland, and I just met a new mom who had come to our school. She was about my age, so we were in college at the same time. Uh, I had never met her before, and I had a Notre Dame swimming shirt. And we were talking, and she said to me, did you go to Notre Dame? And I said, I did. She went to school in Boston. And she said, were you a swimmer? And I said, I was. And she said, were you in that bus accident? And I said, yes. And then this woman, 16 years after our accident, who I just met, said to me, what about after that girl was paralyzed? <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, that's me. And she said to me, I prayed for you. And I thought, how awesome is that? Not only does she get to meet someone she prayed for 16 years before, but I got to meet someone who had prayed for me and to be able to say to her, thank you. Your prayers work. So you never know who you're praying for. You never know in what ways they may be heard, but they are heard and they are very powerful and have certainly made all the